And as we turn to uh, uh, chapter 5 of 1 John, it's a smaller section, but it's a very important section because it's really dealing with the, the certainty of God's witness in our life. And so uh, John's gone through a lot of things with us so far. Uh, he's challenged us in a lot of things, but this is really about identifying who Jesus, the Son of God, is and what he is saying to us. And do we believe what he is saying to us? And part of this deals with making God a liar. Some people might say, well, how can you make God a liar? Well, because God speaks truth, right? But if I tell you the truth and you say I don't believe you, then you are calling me a liar. So it's not really that we're making God a liar, but we're calling God a liar if we don't believe what his word says. And, and that's what this is about today. So I'm going to read verses 6 through, I think, uh, 12 or 13 today. And we'll see how it goes. But it says, This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not only by water, but by water and blood. And this is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree as one. If we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. For this is the witness of God, which he has testified of his Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness of himself. He who does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his Son. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. A lot about the Son of God. And this is all about the Son of God. It's always all about Jesus. So we identify Jesus, who he is, as the Son of God. What does that mean to us? He came by water and blood, it tells us in the first couple verses here. What does that mean when we talk about water and blood? Really, in the beginning of 1 John, he was saying that which we have uh, touched, that we have heard, that we have seen, basically that we have been a witness of. He is, again, reiterating that Jesus was a real person. He's not this, the Gnostics were there at that time saying that God could not uh, inhabit uh, earthly body because the earthly body is impure and God could inhabit nothing that was impure. So John again is addressing this, that Jesus is a, a real person. Uh, he's not just some holy entity that would not pollute himself with the world. God came down fully man, fully God to be amongst us. So he returns to this theme that is that this uh, is a real Jesus. He's a historical Jesus. The world would say he's a historical Jesus. But he is a real Jesus, um, and he is the one that we need to trust in. And sometimes we don't fully understand uh, all of what God's word means. I mean, there's mysteries that are wrapped up in there sometimes, and our minds can't always comprehend everything. But it doesn't mean that we can't believe it. I don't uh, understand fully electricity other than I can get a shock. I also understand if I hit a light switch that the lights go on. I don't need to understand all of it to believe in it, because I believe when I hit the switch that the lights come on. So we grow in faith, we grow in, in our knowledge of God, and 
from First uh, John, I think it was um, 1, 1 through 3, the emphasize was that which we have seen, that we have heard, that we have handled. So it was about a real person. Jesus was a real person. And it was about real stuff and real things. And the gospel is about real stuff and real things. It's not a book that just was written for back then. It is a historical book. We can look back and learn from it. But it's also made to be applied today to our life. So it, it affects us in a real way. And Jesus affects us in a real way. So when we look at this, when we talk about the water and the blood, we want to just clarify some of this because there's some different beliefs out there. And I want to say, you know, there's different metaphors that you can look at and, and apply to this. And I'm not going to say anyone is right or wrong. I think if it, if it helps you in your understanding, that's fine. Some very great minds have had some different thoughts on this. I'll just share a few of them. But um, Luther and Calvin would have said that uh, it believes of baptism and the crucifixion. So the water and blood would say, well, the water is baptism and the blood, speaking of receiving communion or the crucifixion. So when we have communion, we come together, we do that in remembrance. And evangelical churches, uh, those are two of the sacraments that, that we observe, is, is communion or the Lord's table and baptism. So Calvin and Luther had that thought. Augustine believed that the water and blood described uh, the water and blood which flowed from Jesus' side upon the cross. So when we read in the scriptures of John 19, it talks about when they pierced Jesus' side, that water and blood came out. So his emphasis, again, is upon the, the crucifixion of Jesus, but that's where Augustine was at. Others believe that uh, the water and the blood spoke of being uh, water of the womb, being born fully man. So we know uh, when, uh, when a lady's pregnant that the baby is in this uh, sack of, of water, right? So that could be the water, so that he was birthed. Some people will use that metaphor, that being born of water means being born of water. And again, that the blood would speak of his death on the cross. And so John, in essence, I read this little quote, said this, Jesus was born like a man, he died like a man, he was completely human, not some super spiritual being who had no contact with the material world. And so John here is emphasizing that, that Jesus was fully man, but we know scripture says he was also fully God. That's one of those mysteries we can't fully understand, but we believe it, right? We believe that Jesus was fully man, that he came down here, you know, lower than the angels, walked amongst us, taught us, showed us things. We know that he, he touched, shaked hands, hugged, he ate, he, he, he suffered feelings just like all of us in every way. It says he was tempted as we were, he was fully man, but yet he was fully God. And, and that's an important thing as, as we go through this about calling God a liar because sometimes people say, well, you know, God cannot do that. Well, he did that. God deals in the supernatural. He deals in these miracles. So about the water and the blood, the oldest record was really by Tertullian who really believed it was the sacraments. He believed it was baptism and um, the, uh, the death on the cross or communion that we would say, his crucifixion. So Whatever the metaphor is, we can look at that, we can apply it. It doesn't take away from who God really is, but it's important to sort of understand maybe what that's talking about. So when they're talking about the witness of God, so when we think of a witness, it's somebody that has seen of something, but it's also somebody that has testified of something. So if we think about a court of law, somebody gets called up, they're sworn under oath, and then they give an account of what had happened. They're to speak the truth, right? 
You promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Yes, I do. So they sit there. Not that that always happens in the courts anymore, but that's the, the premise of that. You sit there and you, and you tell the truth of what I witnessed, what I saw, of what the events truly were. And so it talks about we have the witness of man. So we have the witness of man all the time. Men will say one thing. We could all see things in a different way. We could all watch an accident happen or some event happen and say, well, let's, let's all write down what we saw. And maybe we all saw something a little different. But the testimony of God, it says, is greater. And so God speaks truth, and he speaks a, a one-way truth. There is no uh, other interpreters up there. What God speaks is true, and we're going to talk about that. So when we look at the baptism, and so if we go back to Tertullian and we say, well, it's the baptism and it was the crucifixion, we understand that he was baptized, right? We know Jesus was baptized. You and I, when we're baptized as believers, we call it believer's baptism. We believe strongly in that. But we're baptized into repentance, right? Jesus wasn't baptized into repentance because he had no sin. He had none, right? So he did that, why? He did that for sinful man, to identify with sinful humanity. He did it so scriptures would be fulfilled. He gave us an example so we can follow in his footsteps. He showed us the way, the example of what he should do. So Jesus was baptized, but not into repentance. When Jesus died on the cross, he didn't die um, because he had to, right? The scriptures say that death had no hold on him. Death didn't, couldn't claim Jesus. Jesus willfully gave up his life, so why did he do it? Again, he did it for sinful humanity, to show us his love for us, and also to save us from our sins. And so when we have these examples that he was born, or that we have the testimony of the water in the blood, it's important to see those things. Why Jesus did what he did. You know, why did Jesus do these things? And it wasn't because he had to, but it was because he wanted to, because of his love. And John has been talking a lot about the love that Jesus had for us. And so when we look at this in our modern age, sometimes we don't like to look at the cross. You know, I mean, we like to look at, at, at a clean cross, right? That's, that's, a, that's a beautiful cross. Whoever made that did a wonderful job. But if we think about the crucifixion cross, it's, it's sort of ugly. It's gory, right? There's blood. There's death. There's pain. There's suffering. There's those in the, in, in the crowd that were jeering it on, you know, like the, the old Romans. And then there are those there that were weeping because their friend, their savior, their son, their brother was dying. So when we look at the, the crucifixion of the cross, it was gory, but it was also glory. So Jesus on that cross accomplished all of our salvation. Whoever believes in him would have that salvation. So we don't like to look at that cross. We don't even like to talk about the blood. We don't like to talk about the suffering or the scourging. You know, uh, Those are, are horrendous things. And the death on the cross wasn't even the worst. I mean, a lot of people have died hanging on a cross. But it was the innocence of Jesus, that innocent lamb that went. He was without sin, became sin for us. That was the greatest. Jesus upon the cross, dying and having the Father having to turn away because he couldn't look upon sin. Why have you all forsaken me? That's the, the message. That's the pain. That's the, the, the central theme of that cross. 
And so today we have shiny crosses. We have nice crosses. Some of us wear crosses. I, I think that's okay. I mean, that's fine as long as we remember what the meanings of those things were. But sometimes we've turned the, the meaning of the cross into a, a trinket of jewelry. And that's what it is. It's shiny and clean and, and unoffensive. Some people will just deny that, that Jesus was God at all. So the cross is just an emblem or it's a status thing of something that we might have. Some of us have turned it into a self-help or a self-esteem a gospel message. You know, you can do better. You can do this. You can do that. And there is encouragement in the cross. Jesus, I believe, is a great encourager, and so are all the writers of the Bible. But when we look at the cross, we need to look at the meaning of the cross, and we need to look at the truth of the cross, and that's why he says it's the water and the blood in the Spirit, which is truth. And so we have the Father, we have the Word, the Word being Jesus, right? And we have the Spirit, which is truth. And it says those three are one, those three agree. And so we have the word of God, and that's what we're looking at. Spurgeon says this, A priest was always ordained by sacrificial blood, cleansing water, and oil that spoke of the anointing of the Spirit. So Jesus also had these three witnesses to his priestly ministry. And so it's talking about that. It's talking about these witnesses of who Jesus is. And so the question comes down to, do we really believe who Jesus is? Do we really believe what the scriptures say about him? The text of uh, 1 John 5, 7, and 8 uh, could say this, For there are three that bear witness, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. There's unity in that. All through scripture it tells us as believers to strive for unity. See, because the witness of, of the likeness of mind is a strong testimony, a strong witness. And that's why he says, by the, by the uh, witness of two or three, we can hold these things true. And so we have these things. Verses 9, if we go up to there, it says, If we receive the witness of man, God is greater. For it is the witness of God which has testified of his Son. We can go around the world and we can go around this room and we can uh, give a testimony of, of who God is. And some of those might differ a little bit. But there's one true testimony of who Jesus is. And that's who God the Father has said he is. This is my son in whom I am well pleased. He tells us in the scripture that there is one way to heaven. And through Jesus and Jesus alone. And so when we live in a world that is sort of collectic and saying what there's other ways of, of um, getting to heaven. Works through this person, through that person, through efforts, through sincerity, through all these things. We know that that's not true if we believe in what God's word says. Because everybody every day receives the witness of men. But it's the witness of God that's important. And it, he's the one who tells us who Jesus is. And so when we look at this, there's just a couple points I, I want to uh, make concerning this. And this is, what do we believe about God's word? And it's an important thing. Because as born again believers, it says, when we are born again, God gives us his spirit. Right? Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but when I leave, I'll give you a comforter. He was going to give us his Holy Spirit. When you receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have the Holy Spirit in your life. That Spirit testifies that you are a born-again believer. Now, I remember back when I gave my life to Christ, and you know, I'm not one of these, like, Tinkerbell tapped me on the head and everything changed and life was grand, because it wasn't. But I knew something changed in my life. 
I knew that when I was sincere in my prayer and I, I saw my need and, and the gospel made sense and I was at the end of my rope with, with the rest of life and I had exhausted everything that I thought would fix my life and it didn't. I just know that when I let go and gave it to God, that something changed. And again, I wasn't cleaned up all on the inside or outside at that time, but all of a sudden I had his Holy Spirit in me. And all of a sudden, my thought patterns began to change, and, and I was convicted about things. And when I would hear people talk in a certain way, it was now offensive to me. And I don't even really know how to explain it, but his spirit testified with my spirit, as Romans says. Romans 8, 16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I knew something had happened. I knew it wasn't just a formality. I knew it wasn't just me playing uh, you know, trying to be a Christian. Because I had tried to be a Christian for, for a year or two, you know, just trying to clean up my life and get it right and do these things and that things. I knew something was different. And so we have the Holy Spirit in our life. And so here, John really wants to expose to us, as believers or non-believers, if we're sitting here, um, really the sin of unbelief. Do we believe what God says? Do we put our trust fully in him? You know, it, it saddens me in, in a world today where we try to manage the things that God is in control of. As, as sort of messed up as the world seems right now, you can listen to the news, you can get pretty depressed, you can get yourself in a dark place, probably pretty easy. We've developed relationships like that that are toxic. You know, we, we are, are uh, you know, not always building one another up, but we try to take one another down to elevate ourselves. And so the world is sort of that way. But God has called us to, to something different. And we need to realize that as messed up as things are, we can look at, at the situations going around the world with the pandemic and with the borders and with jobs and with this and with mandates and all this stuff. You know, that can, that can inundate our mind and it can get us, what, off track of where our focus really needs to be. The Bible says that my God is a jealous God. He wants my devotion and my attention. Now, it doesn't mean I'm oblivious to the things around me. I need to be aware, and I think it's good to be educated about the things that are going on around us. We need to. But do you understand God's still in control? With all the things that are maybe going on in the government that maybe we don't agree with, and, and all these things that seem to be coming down the pike, God is still in control? Do you know that there's conservative judges still being appointed? to the bench, that some of these things that we're so depressed about and the world's just, you know, for lack of a better word, going to hell in a handbasket type things, that there's, that there's judges and those that are overturning things. God is at work. You know, God is doing God's work. We do our part, okay? We stand on the truth. But our attention needs to be on the word of God. Our attention needs to be on our walk and our relationship with Christ. And as we follow him, we're going to make a difference in the world. As we speak truth, we're going to make a difference in the world. You know, I think of many years ago, do you remember when the Mississippi on down sort of flooded so bad? We had those, those wet, wet times. And all these dikes and levees and safeguards that man had built to control the Mississippi from flooding over didn't work, did it? Our God's an awesome God. He is in control. We don't control him. We don't put God in a box. God is at work, and God is always at work. There is nothing that happens in this world that God is not aware of, 
You know, he's never taken by surprise. Amen. And that God does not allow. You say, well, why would he allow certain things? Because he's God. He's God and I'm not. So we understand these things. And so when we have that opinion of God, that God is almighty, God is all-knowing, God is all-present, God is in control of all these things, it can take a great burden off of us. It doesn't mean that we still don't care about these things, because we do. It doesn't mean that we don't act upon things that we need to, because we have to do those things. But it means that I believe in God, and he is where he needs to be in my life. The news isn't up here in my life, at the pinnacle, and God down here somewhere. God is there. And I'm always looking to God. And if I need questions answered, I pray to God. If I need direction in my life, I commit it to God. And so if I don't understand something, give it to God. We pray for one another, and that's an important thing that we do. So if we're not doing that, well, what happens? So when we, when we look at the scriptures, a 9 and 10, and it talks about, we call him a liar because he has not believed the testimony that God has given of his son. Do we believe that Jesus is all that the Bible says that Jesus is in our life? And so even though we would say as believers or as Christians, we don't intend to call God a liar. I don't think anyone here would say, well, I'm calling God a liar. By our actions, we're saying that. Because if God's word declares it, and we say, well, I, I just don't believe that. We're calling God a liar because God has said that that is true. And so I want us to think about something. I, I read through, I like Spurgeon. Um, he's just one of the authors that I like to read. And, and I found this dialect that he had on this, on this section that I would like to share because I think he's put it in greater words than I ever could. And so he says this, The great sin of not believing in the Lord Jesus Christ is often spoken of very lightly and in a trifling spirit. That's how he starts out. And I was thinking about that. A lot of times when we have conversations with people, people just say, well, I just don't believe in God. We just talk about it like it's light, like it's not even really that serious of a sin. So we talk about it in a, in a very light and trifling spirit as though it were scarcely sin at all. Yet according to the text, according to the scripture, and indeed according to the whole tenor of the scriptures, unbelief is the giving of God the lie. And what can be worse? So he's saying when we read God's word and God's word says this, thou shalt not, or thou shalt do this, and we don't do it, or we say it's, it's not for us today, we call God a liar. That's giving the lie to God. We're saying that's not true. And when we tell somebody, you know, if you tell me something, hey, this is what happened, I say that's not, I don't believe that, then I'm calling you a liar. And so that's what he's saying here. We give God the lie. And what can be worse? What if one says, well, I want to believe, but I can't? Now, you and I, we've probably met people like that, right? We talk with people and, and try to share the gospel with them, and they say, you know, uh, I just, I want to believe. I, I really want to, but I just can't. It doesn't make sense. Spurgeon says this, Hearken, O unbeliever, you have said, I cannot believe, but it would be more honest if you said, I will not believe. The mischief lies there. Your unbelief is your fault, not your misfortune. So Spurgeon is really saying, and the scriptures back this, that when we choose not to believe, it's not our, our, our misfortune. It's our choice. We are choosing not to believe. It's our fault, not misfortune. It, it, it is a disease, but it is also a crime. Do we think of that? 
When we're not believing what God's word says, do we really look at it in that way? It is a terrible source of misery to you, but justly so. You know, the spirit that doesn't believe in God is always wrestling with things. Think of the discontent that's in life. Think of the the brokenness that is just in people's lives. And God has given us an opportunity to reach into people's lives and to help minister to them, to help heal those, those brokenness. But it doesn't just come by knowledge or some remedy or some medication all the time. It comes by a relationship with him. So it's a terrible source of misery, but justly so. If we choose not to walk in God's ways and and we wrestle with that in our lives and and we're battling things, it's because we're not trusting sometimes in what God has for us. It says, for it is an atrocious offense against the God of truth. So when you say, I want to believe, but I can't, Spurgeon sort of wraps that part up by saying, it's an offense against the God of truth. We're choosing not to believe it because you know what? When God's word says this, I need to make a change in my life. I may have to, you know, get out of my comfort zone. I may have to, you know, come face to face with some things that maybe I don't want to come face to face with in my life. You know, I was talking with a gentleman as we were going out uh, to Montana, and as we were talking, he kept talking about um, uh, hidden lies in the families, you know, and he was talking about different events. We're very good at that as Christians sometimes. We bury things. We bury our, our sins. We bury our secrets. I think that's what he said, is secret, secrets in the family. We bury those things. We don't deal with them. And I often use a metaphor of a sliver. It's like if you get a sliver, if you don't get that out and just sort of think, well, it will go away, most of the time it's going to fester. And every time you touch it, it hurts. And until you deal with that, You know, it's going to cause you pain or it's going to hinder what you can do. And I believe in our life, many times it's the same thing. Some of us have buried sins, buried things in our life that we've refused to face. And God wants us to face those things. And so when we do that, we want to believe, but I can't. We need to say that's our fault. We need to believe God's word and take him at his word. What if one says, well, I'm trying to believe and I'll keep on trying. I've met people like that. I'm trying to believe what that Bible says, but I just don't get it. But I'll keep on trying. Well, Spurgeon says this. Did I not hear someone say, Ah, sir, I've been trying to believe for years. Terrible words. They make the case still worse. The talk about trying to believe is a mere pretense. But whether pretense or no, Let me remind you that there is no text in the Bible which says, try and believe. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't try to believe, we do believe. You know, think about when you're you're growing up and you try different things. I remember when I was young, standing at the end of a, a diving board in a pool, and my uncle was out there, and saying, jump, and and. I thought for sure I'd drowned, you know, because I couldn't swim and we didn't have floaty things all over us when we were kids, you know, we sort of were dependent upon that person out there. There was a time when I had to not just try to believe, because I could go up there and say, well, I, I think he might, but that's trying. But there was a time when I jumped off the board and I believed. I just took a step of faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And God calls us to walk in our faith. 
And so he tells us here that um, there is no scripture that says try and believe, but it says believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have troubles believing in something, pray to God and say, God, I want to believe. And I even find in my life sometimes, and, and listen, I don't have this right by any means, but there's times in my life when I don't understand, but I still want to walk in obedience. I still don't know how it's going to turn out. I still may fall off that, that diving board and, and whatever, but I'm walking in faith. I'm believing in what God says. It says, he is the son of God. He has proved it by his miracles. He died to save sinners, so trust in him. Are you trusting in Jesus? Do you believe his word and what he says? You know, we don't want to be the people that are calling evil good or good evil, right? God's word is truth. And so we stand on the word of God. I can stand up here and, and preach to you and some of you may like me and like what I have to say. That's great and wonderful. But don't believe it because I'm telling you it. Believe it because you've been in the word of God. Believe it because you're doing studies and devotions at home with yourself or with your family or, or with others. You know, we believe in God because of what his word says. His word is the testimony of truth of who Jesus Christ is in our life. And so such a rejection of that truth, when we treat God's word like a smorgasbord, like, well, I'll apply this because this sort of fits into my life, but I'm not going to use this, I'm not going to use that. When we treat God's word as a smorgasbord, we fall into a danger of sort of hardening our heart. You know, the, the scriptures again tell us not to quench the spirit. So we go back to, I have the Holy Spirit in my life. And so I'm saying something, or I'm doing something, or I'm participating in something that's against God's word. Maybe I don't even know it's against God's word, but the Spirit sort of wells up in me, like, should you be doing this? You ever have that happen? Should I be doing this? Should I be saying this? Should I be listening to this? See, the Spirit sort of wells up in me. Well, that's a, sort of a, a check mark for me that, what does God's word say? You know, that's always my bottom line, is what does God's word say? And so in my life, I, I need to be receptive of that because if I keep, you know, plugging my ears and going my way, you know, I start to quench the spirit. And as you quench the spirit, you can harden your heart. You're sort of building a wall around us. A lot of people in the world today have, have built walls because they've been hurt. You know, they, they, they want to do maybe what they want to do. Sometimes they're selfish walls. Sometimes they're, we think they're protection walls. And we, we build these walls up. And if we build these walls up of not listening to God's word, pretty soon our, our heart becomes hard and we begin to drift deeper and deeper and further and further from the truth and from what God's word has. I think as we sit here today, we would each say, you know, I, I want to be as close to God as I can. I, I want to really know what he has for me and I want to walk in his truth and walk in his ways. But that also requires of us to live a life of obedience and following him. Because as our heart hardens and as we stray further, we can actually come to the point where we're blaspheming God by not being obedient to his words and even leading others astray from there. Mark 3 says, What hope can there be for the one who persists in hearing what God says and calling him a liar? You know, when we hear what God says, we need to be obedient to it. John talks a lot about obedience. 
It's not to earn salvation because that's not what it's based upon. And he closes with that in 11 through 13 here. It says, and this is the testimony. This is the witness. This is what God is telling us as believers. This is the testimony that God has given us. Eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the son does not have life. These things I have written you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. The Son of God, the name of the Son of God is Jesus. We need to believe in him. We need to believe that he is who he says he is. We need to believe that he can do what he says he can do. He is the one that can change our life. As a matter of fact, he's the only one that can change your life. He's the only one that can give you the strength to get through some things. You know, a lot of times we pray, Lord, get this mountain out of my way, right? Amen. I remember in the, in the choir many years ago, we had a, a director, and they used to um, sing a song. It was uh, not to move the mountain, but give me the strength to climb. Maybe that's what we need in our life. See, that's obedience. We always pray, God, get, get rid of these roadblocks, get rid of these things that are hindering me. Give me the strength, Lord. Because as we go through those things, I think God uses us to then bless others. And so it's God's essential, really, message to man is, is that this eternal life is a gift from God. Okay? By faith, through grace, right? We were saved by grace, through faith. It's not of works lest any one of us could boast. But we still get hung up in that sometimes. Some of us get this idea, well, you know, if, if I do more things... I'm more saved, or I'm more holy, or I'm more righteous. It's the wrong thinking. God wants us to be obedient, but we're obedient because of what God has done. We're not going to be more saved. You're either saved or you're lost. You've either put your trust in Jesus Christ, or you haven't. There's not really a common ground in there. We can continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, and that's what every believer should want to do. But don't put it on your works. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's all about Jesus. It's about living in Jesus, right? John had said this the last couple weeks we've been preaching. He's talked about it in his gospel about being grafted in to the vine. He prayed to the Father and said, Father, as you and I are one, I pray that they can be one with us and us with them. He's talking about like in the mixing bowl that we're all just like this. So when we're living in Jesus and walking in Jesus and loving Jesus, that's the best place for us to be. And that's all comes. So the obedience comes not because I think I need to earn something, but because I want to. You know, when you love somebody, you want to do something that's pleasing to them. You want to make their day brighter. You want to see that smile on their face. You want to, you know, experience that joy. And by doing that many times, you experience joy yourself. I remember there was an old, old man up in, uh, uh, Stasel was the name, he raised bees up in Jump River. And they were just an older couple. And I used to always think, you know, I'm just going to go there and drop in. And they're sort of a lonely old couple. And, you know, maybe I can be a blessing to them just to stop in there and visit with them. And I enjoyed visiting with them. And he had all these stories. But I'd go there, and I'd always leave just feeling like I was so blessed. You know, we do things because God prompts us to do. But the result is his work in our life through those things. So John says... Even if we already believe, if you're sitting here as a believer today, uh, to know that you have eternal life, 
Because sometimes we think it's on our works again. We think it's, you know, and so John's confidence, I think, is, is, is really impressive. But I think it's the confidence that each of us can have. And this isn't the confidence of saying, you know, I got eternal life, and so I can continue to live the way that I want to live. Because I, I really say, you know, for people that know what God's word says and, and go against that word, they, they need to look at their relationship with God. You know, I'm not the judge of that. They're, you know, God is the judge of those things. But John has given us enough warnings in here. If we say that we are of the light and we walk in darkness, he calls us a liar. The word of God calls us a liar. It says, and the truth is not in us. And so there's a desire, if we really love God, that we want to do the things that are pleasing to him. So his, his confidence is impressive and ours can too. And you know, we have that confidence, we have that boldness, the closer we draw to him, the more that we walk with him, the more that we seek after him. And we know that our salvation lies only within Jesus Christ and not in our own performance. Because, you know, if it lies in our own performance, if I'm having a good day, I'm feeling like I'm going to heaven. But if I'm having a bad day, you know, well, what's happening? You know, there's, there's uh, religions that believe that, that. That if you were to die in the middle of a sin... I'm having a bad thought and I die. There's actually religions that say, well, you're not going to heaven. You know, wouldn't that be a terrible way to live? I'm just thinking if I had that thought, it seems like all I'd be doing is fighting bad thoughts all the time. But God says when our attention is towards him, you know, in the glory of what he's done, it changes our whole perspective. So if it depends on me, a good day, I'm, I'm good. On a bad day, I really don't know. But it doesn't depend. I mean, that's the good news. That's what John is saying here. If you believe, if it depends on Jesus and what he has done for me, I can know. And Jesus says, as a believer, you can know. And so the question I'm just leaving you with today is, do you know? Do you know Jesus is your personal Lord and Savior? Have you given your life to him? Not just intellectually or not just, you know, uh, by words that you've said, but have you given your life to him? Have you trusted and do you believe in the Bible, and all that it says. It's important that we know that because our life depends on it. There are those in the world today that have a form of godliness, but they, depend, they, they deny the power of God in their life. That just means they look the part. There are those, the Bible says, that worship me with their lips, but their heart's nowhere near God. God desires our heart. He desires our life. He desires our fellowship with him. Keep him where he needs to be. Let's pray.